So this week we're going to talk a little about lessons from the wilderness. You know, uh, in the United States, you know, we have this thing where we have this picture of nature as always being really pretty and nice and inspiring and all that kind of stuff. And so we have this kind of vision in our head. Now, I'm going to tell you that there's a little difference between that and reality to start with because I'm a South Texas kid. And when I was a kid, you know, and we'd go out into the brush country in South Texas, the reminder that was given to us whenever we went out is, remember, everything out there is trying to kill you. Because, you know, every plant has thorns, everything stings, all the snakes are poisonous. So, you know, I mean, it's just, it's kind of like, you know, everything out there is trying to kill you. You just have to remember this. So I, I have a little bit of a jaded view of nature in, in some ways, but there's a difference between talking about nature and talking about the wilderness. And to be in the wilderness is to be in that place where you have all of the human kind of support and structures and so forth that we're used to, to have that stripped away from you and, and, and to actually be out there facing it more, you know, face to face. And, 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 you know, the Rocky Mountains are gorgeous if you're out there in the, in the summertime and they're beautiful or some of y'all were skiing and you're on the ski slope and that's beautiful. Uh, if, if you go snow camping with the Boy Scouts when it's 40 degrees below zero, and you're sleeping in a snow cave, suddenly you, you come to realize, you know, you could freeze to death out here. It'd be real easy, you know? I mean, you start to realize that if you strip away those things that we're so used to that surround us, a life can become uh, really difficult and challenging and dangerous. Uh, all through Scripture, there's this, there's this uh, thing about the wilderness, about people going out into the wilderness, and they're, they're going out there. We have Moses with the Israelites out here in the wilderness, but you have Elijah in the wilderness. You have other prophets in the wilderness. You have Moses. Uh, Jesus is going to go in the wilderness to be temp- uh, tempted. Paul's going to be in the wilderness. Uh, there's different ones that will spend time out there, and the idea was that this was a place to go and have all of our kind of human constructs stripped away from us and to deal with who we really are and to deal with what the world's really like. And to be kind of brought down to that bare level of who we are. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about what it means um, when, when you're out there and some of the lessons that God's people learned uh, during that, pe- uh, that time in the wilderness and what it was that they carried with them. Let's pray. Well, Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So first off, let me, uh, let me try to set this. We've been having a little bit of a battle with the uh, technology this morning, so hopefully it will cooperate with me here. Um, so, you know, we, it, when we kind of look at this map again, I'm going to remind you that up here is the land of Goshen. This is where they were in slavery. Over here is the promised land. And, and they're taking their roundabout trip to avoid uh, the Philistines along the coast. So the, the people of Israel, they kind of wandered down here in the Sinai Peninsula, down here to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. And we tend to think that's where they were the whole time. That's really not true. They were there uh, something like 11 months. And then they began the journey back up this direction until they came up to this area, which is called Kadesh Barnea. And that's where they would spend uh, quite a bit of time in that region uh, before they would eventually travel around and up to Mount Nebo and then cross into the uh, land, of the promised land. But this is where they're going to be camped for about 38 years, right here at Kadesh Barnea. It's a, a little different picture than what we sometimes have in our minds, but I just kind of want to correct that a little bit. And as they're, uh, they're traveling through that, uh, they're going to do um, 
what a lot of us are going to do. I mean, you know, they're going to get worried about food because, you know, I, I, I kid y'all about being Methodist, but the truth is everybody's like that, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're Methodist or Baptist or Presbyterian or Lutheran or Catholic or whatever, no matter what culture you come from or what part of the world you live in, people like to eat. Food's a big deal. Uh, no matter where you go, no matter what it is, it's a big deal. Uh, and, and so food's always important to us. Uh, some of you have watched those survival shows that they have on TV once in a while. You know, what's his name? Uh, the guy, the British, the Bear Grylls guy and all those. And there, there used to be a guy that they would drop out in the, in the, in the outback of somewhere or another. And he had a selfie on a thing that he, camera that he would take with him. And he would kind of film himself uh, trying to survive for a period of time. And he had a, like a satellite phone. So if he didn't do too well, which happened on more than one occasion, uh, he could call them to come get him out. And one of Cindy's and my favorite shows is he's in some very rocky uh, area, very barren kind of region, like what I imagine part of the Sinai would look like. And he's trying to find something to eat and he's just not finding anything he's not finding anything he finally rigs up a deadfall and squashes a ground squirrel so he's built a tripod with a little fire he has the ground squirrel hanging over it and he's off to the side with his selfie going and he's talking on that about I finally got some protein maybe I can stay for a while and then all of a sudden he gets this alarm look on his face and he turns and he goes oh my squirrel's on fire and jumps up and runs off now Maybe we're a little twisted in our household. My wife and I found that insanely funny. <laughs> it may be because our house sometimes gets filled with smoke when cooking's going on. Uh, I don't know about that, but, but, but there was just something hilarious about, you know, I mean, how often do you hear that when you're dining, right? Oh, excuse me, my squirrel's on fire. So that became kind of a, you know, a joke in our house for when things are really a little out of control. You know, my, so, so the Israelites, you know, they're hungry and there's no squirrels in the Sinai. So, you know, they can't even burn a squirrel, and they're out there, and they're, they're getting really hungry. They're going along. Uh, this is a large crowd of people, and large crowds move slowly. You just can only go so fast, and, and, and they're traveling, and pretty soon they have burned through the provisions they brought out of the land of Egypt, and now they're in the middle of the wilderness, and they have nothing to eat. And, and you know how people get when they don't have stuff to eat? You know, they get really unhappy, yeah, hangry, that's the word, right? They're, they're hungry and angry and unpleasant and grumbly and difficult to deal with and just not very nice people. And so, you know, they're, they're out there and they're, they're hungry and they don't have anything to eat. And the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, you know, this is going to go on all through this kind of, this complaining process is going to go on. And, you know, Moses is going to catch the brunt of it every time. Because, see, part of being a leader is when people want to complain, you're the one they come talk to. Trust me. <laughs> this, that's the way it works. You get all the, yeah, you're, you're the chief, you know what, catcher. Uh, that's kind of the way it works. And so they, they come to, and, and Moses goes to God and says, God, you know, they're hungry. What are we going to do? And God says, these ungrateful people, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to strike them all dead. And Moses says, whoa, 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 wait, God, you don't want to do that. Because, you know, how's that going to look? Really? I mean, I'm serious. This is the argument. How's that going to look? You brought them all out here and then you killed them all. It just doesn't look good for you, God. And so God says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll give them something to eat. And, and, and so God causes this stuff to appear on the ground. 
And it's like, kind of like dew uh, at first, and then it becomes kind of a, sets up a little bit. And they gather that every day, and they make it in the cakes, and they eat it. And they don't know what it is, and they're going, what is it? Which in Hebrew is manna. What is it? Manna. That's literally what the word means. Uh, we don't know what this is, but, but they gathered it. And, and, and it would feed them for the day. And what they found was if they tried to keep it overnight, it did exactly what God said, which is it goes bad. So it was always one day to the next to the next. And the first lesson they had to learn, I'm trying to get to God provides, is that God provides. God provides day to day to day. Not a month ahead of time, not a year ahead of time, but day to day to day. You know, we, we, don't, we don't think that way too often in our culture. You know, we like to have our savings accounts, our 401ks. Uh, we want to have our retirement in place. A lot of us have big refrigerators and freezers and all because that's how we were raised. This is what we grew up with. And so we're trying to secure ourselves in the future. But the truth of the matter is every morning when you get up and you take that first breath of the day, God is providing. You know, at any moment that can change. Life is not as certain as we like it to be. And all of us who've gone through the experience of having a sudden death in our family, you know, you realize that no matter how much you try to secure everything and how much you try to nail everything down, life is a day-to-day affair. My aunt arose one morning when my uncle was 42 to find his cold body in the bed with her because he had died during the night. Life is not certain, but God provides day to day. And the Israelites had to learn that, that each day when they got up, God would provide for them. And so we take care of today, tomorrow's another day. God provides. As they went across the desert, uh, you know, every day when they would come into camp and set up camp, uh, Moses would set up and, and sit his chair down, and then the people would come before him to settle all of their disputes. Now, remember, large crowd. So those of you who have children, you know how your children argue. So multiply that by 10,000. Uh, and, and, and this is what you've got, you know, well, he got here first and I wanted that camping spot. And why does he get this? And they have more than we do. And how come they're over here instead of over here? And our tribe should be over here and their tribe should be over there and blah, 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 blah. They all had. And so Moses would sit all day long and he would listen to the disputes and he would decide among them. And Moses' wise father-in-law, Jethro, watch this and, and realize, you know, that's just really not working so good. And so he comes to Moses and he says, what you're doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God. But then he goes on and says, but all other minor disputes with each other Appoint judges over them. Group them into groups. Select people whose character you respect and put them in charge of each one of those groups and let them decide that. Because see, the deal is Moses is there all day long, day to day to day to day. And not only is that wearing him down, but you know, he's only really got so much wisdom to go around, which is what most of us are like, right? You know, after a certain length of time, you reach that point that Bill Cosby used to talk about with his children. You know, we don't care about justice. We just want quiet. <laughs> and so partway through the day, Moses would hit that point and he just would be doing, and sometimes they were good decisions and sometimes they weren't. 
You know, one of the things that, that you have to learn when you're in the midst of those kinds of positions and those kinds of places of leading and things are difficult is that you have to learn to ask for help. There's no lone rangers. There's no lone rangers. Whenever you decide that you have all the answers and that you can do all of it and you have the leadership and you've got this all in control, you don't need any help, you have then limited what is going to happen in that group of people by your limitations. No one of us can have so many, but so many quality relationships. No many, uh, we can't make but so many good decisions in a day. We can only know so many things really well. And one of the realities of the wilderness is it teaches us to respect our limitations. And to know that there are places where you, know, you get to a certain point and then you have to say, oh, somebody else has to do this. Somebody else has to carry this load. I have to hand this off. You know, in order for the body of Christ, for the community of faith to thrive, you have to learn that you need other people around you. Now, I want you to think for a minute, what is the first thing that Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel, the first thing that Jesus does after he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, what's the first thing he does? He goes and recruits the disciples. He goes and recruits the twelve. So, really, you know, if the Son of God is going to go recruit twelve people to help him, really, don't you think you ought to at least go for that many? I mean... If, if, if Jesus needs 12, I mean, I suspect I need a lot more than that. No Lone Rangers. There's no Lone Rangers. When you decide that it's all about you, you allow your ego to limit what God is trying to do. As they move through the wilderness, uh, God came to Moses and says, Listen, I need you to, uh, to make a dwelling place for me so that I can be in the midst of my people. I need, I need a place to be. You know, they all have tents. I need a tent too. And so he, he talks to Moses about building the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, uh, and, and uh, begins to uh, give him instructions about how to build this and, and so forth, and spends 17 chapters talking about how to build the tabernacle. And, and the call goes out to the people to bring supplies in, and they start bringing things to build the tabernacle. And as they build it, it, it becomes so overwhelming at a certain point, the word has to go back out, stop, don't give us anything else. We have more gold than we need. It's the only time you'll ever hear those words in the church. I mean, we have more than we need. Stop, stop. We don't need any more. We're good. And, and, and they built this tabernacle uh, so that God could dwell in the midst of them. So then Moses set up the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and he put up the screen at the gate of the court. So he finished the work. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. This was God's dwelling place in the midst of them, uh, of the people of Israel. Uh, it's not entirely different from other kinds of structures that were used uh, uh, with other groups in the Middle East at this time. Uh, it's kind of a glorified tent that's curtained off, and this is where God can dwell. It's so that God's presence and God's glory doesn't harm anyone around there. Uh, it's really to protect the people, but it's for God to be in the midst of his people. And I want you to listen real carefully to this next piece. 
Later on, they're going to build a temple in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple. Uh, it's going to be huge. It's going to be elaborate. It's going to stand for 400 years. At the end of 400 years, the Babylonians will trash it. When the Israelites come back 70 years later, they're going to rebuild that temple. It'll stand for another 500 years. 20 years before Jesus is born, Herod will rebuild it into the most magnificent temple that Jerusalem has ever seen. The, the retaining walls of Herod's temple are still there to this day. When you go to the western wall, uh, that, that's the retaining wall of Herod's temple. It still stands. Uh, it would be 20 years before Jesus was born that Herod would, would, would rebuild that. 70 years A.D., the Romans would flatten the temple, but the retaining walls still stand. So there's, there's, there's almost a thousand years that, that this temple of some structure is going to stand in Jerusalem. It's huge, it's ornate, it's layered in gold. The instructions for the building of this tabernacle occupy three times as much scripture as the instructions for the building of the temple in Jerusalem. There's something about the tabernacle that was more important to God than the temple in Jerusalem. Because the tabernacle was always where the people of God were and allowed God to be in the midst of his people. Allowed God to be in the midst of his people. See, this is the next lesson they had to learn. It's not about the building. The temple was not the important thing. The presence of God was the important thing. Jesus will stand before Herod's temple in Jerusalem and he'll tell his disciples, you know what, you tear this thing down in three days and in three days I'll rebuild it. People thought it was heresy. But the early church understood that he was talking about the resurrection. <laughs> you tear this temple down, the physicality of who he was. And he would be raised up in three days. And the early church remembered that on the day of his crucifixion, the temple, the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the people was torn in half so that God sent the message out clearly that from now on, God was going to be fully present to his people, that no longer would God be limited to a certain particular place and time. The Israelites heard that in the desert, that God was in the midst of them. The temple of God is the community of God's people, not the building, not the space, not the decorum, not the architecture. It's the community of God's people. And anytime God is dwelling in the midst of his people, anytime the people represent, I mean, recognize the, the reign of God, anytime the people submit to the leadership of God, that's the temple. It's not about the building. It's about the presence of God. And that's a lesson the people of Israel would struggle with. And it's a lesson Christians still struggle with. It's not about the building. So they came to Kadesh Barnea. And from Kadesh Barnea, they sent spies over into the promised land to check it out. They came back and they reported how wonderful it was. There were vineyards and there's fields and there's orchards and cities. And, and it, I mean, it was just overwhelmingly wonderful compared to where they had been. Uh, and this tremendous place that they were getting ready to, to walk into. And, and yet, when they came back, 
Most of the spies came back and said, oh, gosh, it's wonderful. But the people, the people are huge. They're ferocious. They're great warriors. We're like grasshoppers next to them. They'll stomp on us and squish us if we try to go in there. We can't take this land. Except for two. (laughs) There were two who went to check it out. Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb were among those who had spied out the land, and they tore their clothes when they heard this report, and they said to all the congregation of the Israelites, the land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Mm. The other spies came back and said, oh, boy, it's horrible. They'll, 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 They'll massacre us. We can never do it. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, the land, it really is an amazing land. It really is. But we don't have to be afraid because God is with us. Their protection is removed. We're going to devour them like a piece of bread. And the people said, kill them. We don't want to hear that. So, so, so God, listening to that conversation, says, I give up. I've brought this people out of Egypt. I've provided for them. I've sustained them. I've fed them. I've taken care of them. And they still don't believe. So you just stay there in Kadesh Barnea until every one of you dies except for Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb will lead your children into the promised land. So they stayed there for another 38 years until all that generation died. And Joshua and Caleb led a new generation who had grown up understanding that God would feed them every day. Those are the people that they led into the promised land. Because what they had to learn was to not just know that God provided each day, but to trust into the future in God's providence. See, knowing that God will provide for you each day is a matter of fact. Every morning when you get out of bed and your feet hit the floor, you know that God's given you another day. That's fact. Knowing that God will provide for you in the future is an act of faith. You know, Joshua is this amazing character all through the Old Testament. He is the, he's the most admirable character, I think, of the Old Testament. He, he, he's just steadfast. He, he's not the smartest guy. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the strongest guy. But over and over again, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he never wavers. And so he leads the charge into the promised land. I mean, to have that kind of faith in the face of overwhelming odds is a powerful thing. One of the things that that somehow or another God calls us to learn in the wilderness is to trust that God didn't just provide for you today, but God will provide for you tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the month after that and the year after that. And you can live in that kind of confidence. And I think more than anything right now, if you haven't heard that, you need to hear it. Because everything around us right now is screaming, be very afraid. Everything is screaming, be anxious, be afraid. 
I'm fascinated when in the midst of the world, when I say, you know, I know, I know it's crazy, I know it's crazy, but I'm going to trust that God is going to work this out, and I'm going to trust that God is in it. I'm, I, I'm amazed at the Christians who come back to me and treat me like I'm naive and ignorant. Ah, yeah. Okay, Joshua, get a rock, stone him. <laughs> right? The world needs the Christian community to be steadfast. The world needs the Christian community not to be afraid. The world needs the Christian community to continue to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter how crazy it is out there. It doesn't matter how wild it is. It doesn't matter what kind of struggles you're going through. It doesn't matter if your marriage is falling apart or your job is falling apart or your kids are acting up. It doesn't matter if the politics are driving you crazy. And even in the face of people leaving bombs on our doorsteps, the world needs us to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? The world needs someone who will trust in God's providence, not just for today, but for all time. So Jesus is going to be in a different wilderness one night. He starts his ministry being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And after he survives that in Matthew's gospel, uh, we're told that Satan left him for until a more opportune moment would come. And the more opportune moment comes when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane outside of Jerusalem. And the disciples have all fallen asleep instead of staying up with him and praying. They've all fallen asleep. And he is having to make that decision that night whether he goes through with this or not. And he prays, Father, if, 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 if you will, take this cup away from me. I don't want to do this. And Satan's whispering in his ear, you don't have to do this. <laughs> You're the son of God. You don't have to go through this. And then in that moment, he says those words that we know so well, right? Not my will, but, but yours. He trusts in spite of what he knows is coming. So can you trust that way? Can you come out of the wilderness and trust that way? In simple lessons, but powerful. God provides for us each day. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. God is with us wherever we go. The temple travels wherever we are and whatever we face. And God provides for us not just for today, but for all time. If God is for us, who can be against us? Simple lessons, but hard. Can you live into that? Because, my friends, only when we live into that does the promised land become real. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we thank you that even in the midst of the wilderness, even in those times when we are hungry, even in those times when we complain, even in those times we lose faith, that you still travel with us, that you continue to teach us, that you work us and shape us and mold us into the people you would have us to be, that you teach us sometimes painfully that each day, that, that each breath 
depends upon you. And that we can depend upon you, not, not just for the moment, but for all time. That, that whatever we face, whatever we go through, we can know that you are with us, that you carry us through it. And that you provide for us for all eternity. So, Father, come and be with us. Let your glory be in the midst of this temple of faith. And lead us into the land that you promised us. We ask in the name of our crucified and risen Lord Jesus.